most patients who are, let's say, for a creative, they usually have issues sleeping because、mm-hmm. they're usually staying up all night thinking about what else they need to do, and then usually have a lot <laughs>、yes. of deadlines. And so, and most patients would also sometimes have anxiety as well. And so, going to a doctor, the doctor would prescribe a very like a brand specific product. And so, most patients in Australia right now are either on a CBD oil for anxiety, a THC oil for insomnia, but also two different types of flowers. So, it could be an indica flower for sleep, and then a sativa flower. For the daytime. That's Lisa Newgan, a pharmacist and cannabis entrepreneur in Australia. She is the woman behind Astrid, Australia's first female-led dispensary and one-of-a-kind wellness brand. The world of cannabis and creativity have long been tied together, and as your go-to creativity podcast, I invited Lisa on to chat about where Australia is at with cannabis and our use as artists. I want to preface by talking about my own experience with cannabis, and it's this one: I have never ingested cannabis or smoked it, but I have been around it extensively in my late teens and adult life. I was of the thinking that it was a gateway, it was addictive, and it was basically a good-for-nothing drug. Until John Easterling and Olivia Newton-John frequented my parents' hotel as her Australian base. Seeing Olivia go through all of her treatments and become an advocate for the benefits of CBD, I was able to educate myself and move away from the former thinking. So, I want you to listen to this with an open mind and absorb as much as you can, because this is a very remarkable industry. I've since been diagnosed as autoimmune, and I've always had a pretty keen interest in cannabis and its benefits. I hope that this conversation informs you, inspires you, and can help start a conversation of cannabis treating health conditions. I want to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which this podcast was recorded on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to elders, past and present. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm your host Ariel Thomas, motion director, social strategist, and founder of production company Cinematom. I can't wait to bring you into the world of my guests, some of Australia's most prolific creatives working in fashion, media, and design, as we unpack their unique creative process. If you or someone you know are finding it difficult to manage issues as a result of drug use, you can find help on the Drug Help website. Or by calling the National Alcohol and Other Drug Hotline on eighteen hundred two five zero zero one five. You can also call Lifeline on thirteen eleven fourteen. So I'm sitting with Lisa. Explain to me what Astrid is and why Astrid. Why the name? I love it. So it's a long story. I'll tell you the. Semi-summarized version. Yes, but essentially, Astrid is, in essence, a name that I wanted for a Australia's first female-led dispensary.、Mm-hmm. And I came to into cannabis、um, about five or so years ago,、mm-hmm. and I worked in corporate cannabis.、Um, and my job was as a medical science liaison. Yeah, and、um, yeah, so I was in charge of educating doctors and pharmacists and nurses.、Um, and then essentially, I saw a gap, and I wanted to create a brand that was more feminine. Yes, and then when I decided to do a dispensary, I wanted to have a name that didn't have can in front of it, because every single cannabis brand had cannabis or cannadoc or cannabis or whatever it was, and I was over the can names, and I wanted a really unique, <laughs> I really wanted a unique name,、um, and also something that wasn't related to cannabis at all, but. It was named was number one. I wanted a feminine name. Number two, I wanted something that was named after my future daughter. Oh, yeah. And so I don't have a kid right now, but、yes. <laughs> eventually, so you're going to call your first child Astrid. Astrid. 
Wow. It's named after her. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's a beautiful brand. Thank you. Like every touch point I'm obsessed with. I love Thank it you. so much. So before we dive in, I want to paint a really, really clear picture for anyone in the dark about cannabis. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about the ESC and its interaction with the body and basically how cannabis, what it does from the THC versus CBD ratio that's needed to separate the medical to recreational, all of yep. that, because I think this podcast is essentially about media design fashion mm. processes all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff but there's a really interesting connotation through pop culture that stoners are creative blah yep. blah blah weed smoking yep. dope all that kind of stuff and i kind of want to get a really black and white explanation on how the separation i guess between medicinal and recreational for sure so there's a lot of history with cannabis so cannabis is such a beautiful plant it's it's been around for so many years it's it started off in um, different areas of Asia and went to kind of the Middle East and went to America and California and now Australia. And so the history of it is that it's it's something that's always derived from the earth and then throughout history it's kind of been, um, um, been I guess, um, demonised a little bit uh, throughout time. And so that's where we, we see a lot of references throughout pop culture. At, at the essence, it's still cannabis because it's still a plant that's grown from the earth. It's still the same plant. But medicinally, it means that it is used in a way that's therapeutic for a patient. And so the difference between recreational and medicinal cannabis is, number one, um, the way that it is actually, actually extracted. So, for example, in Australia... All, all the cannabis here is actually grown in a government-approved government, um, facility and then extracted in a way that can be um, therapeutically taken out and put into a formulation as an oil or a wafer or a capsule and used in a very specific dose. Whereas recreational is grown in a way that's not controlled at all, um, under no jurisdiction, um, and you'd use it for more so euphoria. And so that's Omaha. Right. Yeah, very kind what of a beautiful word. Euphoria. Yeah, euphoria. <laughs> beautiful word. Yeah. yeah. But um in from a scientific perspective, uh, medical cannabis in the medicinal system works on something called the ECS, like you mentioned. Yeah. Which stands for the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. And the endocannabinoid system is this amazing naturally occurring system within our bodies that was discovered a little while ago, um, that we're all born with. And so we're all born with, you know, a cardiovascular system, a respiratory system, but also an endocannabinoid system. Yeah. So what that means is that cannabis has something called phytocannabinoids, which are plant-derived cannabinoids. So they already are in the plant. Yeah. So that's where you get the CBD and the TXC. And then we as human beings have an ECS or an endocannabinoid system. And within that, we have these special little receptors called CB1 and CB2 receptors, and they're kind of scattered all throughout our bodies. And so... If you ever Google an, an ECS system, you see little dots all throughout the human body. Right. And so the CBD and the TXC, they attach to these receptors um, and they create a very um, unique response. So, for example, CBD predominantly is used for a lot of um, anxiety-related symptoms mm -hmm. and they work on CB1 receptors, which are predominantly in our brains. Mm -hmm. um, and chronic pain, like for example, um, endometriosis, like a lot of, have a lot of patients coming into our dispensary with, with endo pain. Mm -hmm. um, and they're using a combination of TXC and CBD oils, which work directly on um, CB2 receptors throughout the body, which then create more of an analgesic response. 
Right. So where's the line between getting high then? Is it like, is that the THC? Yeah, so T- CBD doesn't have um, any of those euphoric um, effects. Yeah. THC in high doses, particularly when you smoke it or roll it in a joint or have it in a bong, that's when there is potential for abuse or getting high. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the patients nowadays are using it in a vaporizer yeah. where you can actually get very standardized doses. And so um, using it medicinally um, with the, the help of a doctor prescribing it, with the help of a pharmacist actually recommending doses, would then prevent patients from actually using it to get high. If they, if patients wanted to use it to get high, they would just not get it from a doctor. They'll probably just <laughs> get it from the streets, you know, behind Seven <laughs> Eleven with some guy and roll into a joint kind of thing. But a lot of the um, the movement is people are moving towards medicinal cannabis because they want more of a plant medicine for a holistic effect. Yeah, amazing. Okay, yeah. so in let's go back to pop culture. How Lady Gaga has said that she smokes a lot to create her songwriting experience. There's a quote from Steve Jobs that says, the best way that I could describe the effect of marijuana and hashish is that it would make me relaxed and creative. Where does the creativity piece in all of this? Because, yes, it's um, medicinal and, and like, the pain relief. How does Where does creativity come into this? So that's a really interesting question because I think it's very individualised. Yeah. Um, and the beauty of cannabis is that it's so mm. personal in that everyone has a very unique ECS system. So your system is very different to my system in that I have different numbers of receptors, you have different number of receptors, and you will need a different dose to me as well. Right. And you, your body has different needs to, to my body. Um, and so there's also something called um, um, ECS deficiency, so you may not mm-hmm. have enough of those receptors to produce a response. And the ECS is also responsible for um, controlling homeostasis, which in the scientific world means balance. And so what's really interesting is that your body might be deficient in something, but when you use the right number or amount of cannabinoids, then it can really counteract for what you're missing. And so I think that in creativity, for example, a lot of um, you know um, creative people use it to, um, to get to a state of calm or relaxedness. Yeah. Um, for myself, for example, I am very fidgety. Like I'm on the go, ADHD, on the ball all the time, and I, I, I can't focus. Like I'm like a 30-minute wonder. But for me, I know if I use a, a strain that's more sativa dominant, it really makes me hyper-focus. So I oh. – yeah, so i give you an example. So um, every so often, usually once a month, I need to create like uh, some copywriting for a new piece of, of something that we're doing. And yeah. recently we made some – Cards, some terpene cards, which have a, has a description of what that terpene does for right. the body. And I was procrastinating for at least, I had a good three months to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I had three months to do this and I waited <laughs> literally until the night before it was due. My print is like, you need to send to me tomorrow because I need to print this tomorrow. I'm like, oh shit, I haven't the copy yet. <laughs> and so I went home that night, I had a whole day of work, went home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I've got one night to do this. And so I put some sativa into my vaporizer, vaped it, and I kid you not, I had like a million tabs open and I just smashed it out. And I was able to so clearly focus and just get it done Mm -hmm. and I felt so relaxed doing it as well and it wasn't stressful. Do you think it kind of removes the self-critic as well? 
in like because you know how creatives we're like out like oh this is shit like oh what have i created like I yep. this song is awful yep. do you think it kind of removes yeah i think so. so interesting it's also for me it's more like flow state like i mm. feel like it's very like flowy you know when you're in when you're forced to create something special it it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like it's natural like yes. you have to keep thinking about it or you get into this like writer's block mm-hmm. but for me when i know that i have to do something and i'm 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 there i just need that little push yes and i use a sativa flower i'm flowing like it's a flow state for me wow yeah so how did you get to the point where you i mean obviously you own a dispensary so you it's trial and error for you i guess to find that sativa as your best friend when you're trying to focus how can a person that doesn't have access to that kind of get into this world i think getting to know your doctor and your dispensary really well like what we do really well is get to know all our patients or our our customers Mm -hmm. and understand what they need so medicinally obviously it's for a chronic condition but beyond that a lot of our patients are creative so we have a lot of musicians a lot of people who are filmmakers coming in and they're like i like this this strain is amazing for what i do like i, I was able to think of three new songs over the weekend oh. yeah and just being able to understand that and getting to know them you know what's worked for them what didn't work for them letting them know what's available as well and kind of piecing it all together and it there's no like one size fits all and that's yeah. for me the most exciting part about this business because I came from, you know, a traditional background as a pharmacist, traditional background in corporate pharmaceuticals where I I didn't I couldn't handle the corporate like rigidness of, yes. of of being in that kind of industry. But going into cannabis, it's so much trial and error, getting to know people, um, you can add your own spice in it. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of um that beautifulness of collaboration with not just people, um, externally but also your your customers and your patients too so would i be right in saying that your doctor would prescribe you kind of like an umbrella of a cannabis prescription and then you come to you to figure out what strains and everything work yeah so most patients who are let's say for a creative they they usually um have issues sleeping because mm-hmm. they're usually staying up all night thinking about what else they need to do and then usually have got a lot <laughs> yes. of deadlines and so um insomnia is one that's quite common mm-hmm. um and most patients would also um sometimes have anxiety as well and so um going to a doctor the doctor would prescribe a very like a brand specific product and so most patients in australia right now are either on a cbd oil for anxiety a TXC oil for insomnia but also two different types of flowers so it could be an indica flower for sleep and then a sativa flower for the daytime but that's quite an umbrella like you said but within that there's different strains mm-hmm. and so some strains might work for some people and some strains might not and most patients nowadays They've found their favorite strains, which is really, really fun. Right. So I've been to California and I've walked into a dispensary and it's like the person I was with at the time, like in company with, was like a kid in a candy shop. Mm. And there are a lot of strains, mm-hmm. really fun names, mm-hmm. all of that. How how far off of that is the Australian industry? Like how many strains have we got and how does that work? Like figuring out strains and yep. that. Yep. So the short answer is we're still quite far off. I think we're in this um, in-between kind of space at the moment where we're not totally recreational and we're not totally medicinal. So we're kind of pseudo-medicinal at the moment. Um, And I I say that because there are probably around 500 different products um, available on the market at the moment. Um, And I would say every week I get approached by a new strain or new company that come out and we've got some interesting names, like we have Girl Scout cookies, we've got 
Blue Dream, we've got Gorilla Glue. Mm-hmm. And so those names are quite, you know, uh, traditional, I guess, in the in the recreational market. But our patients are using it medicinally. Right. And so that's where we are currently at in Australia, where we are using strains or products, but for medicinal purposes. And so it's not to the point where you can come to a dispensary and you can choose your strain. We're not there yet because I can't, when you go into an asteroid, you won't have, you won't see any strains on display. It's just beautiful green walls with plants and a lot of cool people um, who understand cannabis, but you have to have a prescription first, which means that you need to go to a doctor first. Like, I don't know where strains come from. Mm-hmm. Like, and you just mentioned that you get a call every week from a strain or a new product. Is that yep. basically like they're their own businesses? Yep, it can be. So it, um, the the supply chain is really interesting. So traditionally yeah. strains are um, based on genetics, so it's seeds. Mm-hmm. And so the, in, in California you might have a lot of companies or a lot of dispensaries who have their own seed bank. Mm-hmm. So they have their own kind of like place where they, they keep the genetics. Mm-hmm. And they would work with local growers to then grow those seeds into different strains or flowers. Mm-hmm. In Australia, we're not really totally at a seed bank level yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way that it works in Australia is that you can either get imported products, so from a grower um, overseas, or you can get an Australian grower that um, grow their own products, or you can get an Australian grower that contract grow. So let's say you oh. let's say you really like Girl Scout cookies and you're like, I really want Girl Scout cookies and I really want to grow it in Australia. I want Australian pro- grown products. You go and uh, procure the seeds from overseas and then you reach out to a, a contract grower in Australia and say, hey, can, can you guys please help me with this? Because I don't know how to grow and I don't have any experience, but you guys do and you can help me with that. And so that, that also happens here as well. Or you go to a, a grower in Australia who already grown, have, they've already grown flour um, and then you just essentially white label their products and you can make oh. your own brand oh. and that happens now too so we have brands that don't really have fancy names or, or like you know strand names but um but they are really nicely branded yeah um according to you know tga standards yeah um and um they've just white labeled them so someone else has grown them like all this flour and they've just purchased it in bulk and put into bottles what do you call a grower here is it a farm? Is it like a... Can we just call them growers? How many growers have we got <laughs> in Australia that are legalised? Oh, we have got a lot now. Like how many? Yeah. Oh, I don't know the top of my head, but we've got Queensland growers, Victorian growers, WA growers. Um, there's a few companies, like ANTG, which stands for Australian Natural Therapeutics Group. Amazing. They're, they're a really big grower. Um, they're really awesome people, like just really awesome people. And they've got really, like, they've got some OG growers, like from California who. Ah. Yeah, because it, it, when you've grown overseas, you kind of know, like, you know, you have a lot of experience. Yeah. Does Australian ha- does Australian soil do anything that's different that overseas is like, ooh, what have you guys got going on? Um, no. Not yet. <laughs> but then within Australian growers, yeah. it's also really interesting because you have indoor and outdoor, right? Yeah, so, so hydro and all that. Yeah, exactly. And so there's not many outdoor grows in Australia. Oh. Yeah. And that's really surprising because Australians love outdoor and yeah. like, they love organic, right? But the reason why there's not many outdoors is because it's quite hard to grow outdoor in because yeah. when you grow medicinal in Australia, it has to be standardised. Yeah. Every single batch has to be within, like, you know, the 5 to 10%. You can't be too too different from that because oh, otherwise wow. you can't be a medicine. It has to be similar. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so how can you control that with Australian sun and everything else, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of people prefer to grow indoor because it's easier to standardize and uh, easier to make GMP. Yep. Mm. Control. Yeah. Okay. How hard is it to become a grower in Australia? 
Do you have to come from a medical background? Um, you don't, but there's a lot of licenses. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So many. Yeah, a lot of licenses. It's a lot of capital as well. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's such a foreign world. And I feel yeah. like I'm here asking all these questions. People are going to be like, Ariel, shut up. Like, why do you want to know all this nitty gritty? No, it's really interesting. Like, I, I was in the dispensary side of things for a while. Yeah. Um, and I, I see the, the end process, right? So when the products come to me, it's already packaged and my job's is to provide support and education for the patient, the customer. Mm-hmm. And so it's the end part of the journey. But I find the start of the journey so fascinating. Mm. But when the growers come to me, they're like, oh, what you do is so interesting. And I'm like, you guys are growing it. That's way more, yeah. that's way more interesting. So they're growing it. And then where does – so I'm going to assume that at the at Astrid, the dispensary, what kinds of products do you sell? Is it all oils and stuff like that or is it actual yeah, so like clusters and stuff? Like what are you selling? Yeah, so we, we sell everything that's legally available on prescription in Australia. So we have a lot of flour yeah. currently and within the flour so many different strains and different types. Mm-hmm. Then, we, then we also have oils. Mm-hmm. Um, we have wafers. We have gummies. Mm-hmm. We have soft gels. Um, and all different brands. We don't have our own branded products. We we um, procure from our suppliers that have that um have attained a um like a license in Australia to to, to sell on a prescription. So what's interesting is that if the supply chain is really difficult, in that some products are from Canada, some are from Portugal, some are from Israel, some are Australian, some yeah. are like Australian, but they're packaged somewhere else. It's it's quite convoluted right now um, because we're quite a new industry, so everyone's trying to figure it out. Yes. Is that import just a nightmare? Um, I don't do the import, thank yeah. goodness, but the suppliers who choose import, it is quite a long process and yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of regulatory hurdles that they have to overcome. Yeah, oh, yeah, so much red tape. So much red tape. Wow. Okay, so to swing back, you mentioned how you got into this field, but yes. how did you come to – Astrid as a brand is very female. Yes. So talk to me about where that came from and how you actually started to have your own dispensary. Yes. So um, I mentioned earlier that I um, I started um, my career in about 2017 or 2018, uh, right after medicinal legalization. Mm-hmm. And so that was in, in 2017, 2018, um, I joined one of the first companies that had a product in Australia. Mm. Um, and so prior to this, I, I've always been a pharmacist. So I went from community to hospital to in a few different roles, but I was one of those pharmacists who always quit her job because I was always doing some sort of creative side hustle. Like I had a leggings business and did this other thing on the side. I'm always doing some sort of side hustle, right? Yes. So I'm always quitting my job. And so then when I landed one of the first cannabis jobs um, in Australia, my parents were like, oh my God, she's going to quit in a year. <laughs> yeah, she won't stick to it. And yeah, she won't stick to it. But I loved it because it was so dynamic. Yeah. It was so new and there was no there's no kind of um pathway yet. No one yeah. knew what they were doing. And so I loved that. I found it so exciting. Yeah. And so I joined um that company and they were like a small Australian boutique company. Right. And that was exciting in that there was no competitors. Like right now there's five hundred different products. Mm-hmm. Back then there was three. Right. And so like I was one of the first reps or sales reps on on the ground, so my job was speaking to doctors and nurses and pharmacists and teaching them about medicinal cannabis and how mm. it can be applied therapeutically for chronic pain or insomnia or um, whatever indication their patient may have. Mm-hmm. And um, that was hard back then 
because it yeah. just legalized. And then there was so much stigma and, and people, doctors didn't want to see me because they thought I was a drug dealer. Um, even though I presented really professionally, you know, I had my little suitcase and I had my suit on and I had my notes and my slide deck and everything prepared. And they're like, get out, get out of my office. You're a drug dealer. And wow. so there was so much stigma back then. It was, it was hard, but also exciting. Yes. <laughs> I really loved the challenge. Um, but. In prior to this, in university, I dabbled in a bit of cannabis myself as well. Mm-hmm. Like I lived in this, I, I went to university in Wagga Wagga, mm-hmm. really random, another, <laughs> another podcast. Sure. Um, <laughs> but um, essentially I lived in this house with like three boys and anyways, they pretended like they were growing tomatoes, but actually they were growing cannabis. Sure. And um, they were using recreation. So I always had this kind of like thing against cannabis because I was like, oh, these guys are always smoking weed and right. I'm trying to like study. So like and no study. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was trying to like study and get out there and become a professional. So, and so I had this kind of stigma against it. But I did also have friends in university who had um, um, a lot of nausea problems mm-hmm. when they, um, they had um, celiac. And so they would come over whenever they had like a, a celiac attack and they would have um, like a, a vape of THC. Mm-hmm. And it really, really helped them, like prevented a lot of them from going to hospitals wow. back then as well. So I knew that it had medicinal benefit, mm. but I also saw the the recreational side of it as well. So I was very on the fence. Fast forward to joining a cannabis company. I, I didn't know the science behind cannabis then. Joined the cannabis company and saw the science and I saw the research that was that this company was doing and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Mm. And we was doing a clinical trial on um, chronic cancer pain at that time. Wow. Yeah. And so that was really interesting um, studying the um, safety and tolerability of um, different types of CBD and TXC formulations for mm. different types of cancer pains as well. Um, and so that I found that really, really enlightening and really, really um, valuable and, and learning the backstory of how it can work for different types of patient cohorts. Um, and then after about two years with that company, I joined a big Canadian cannabis company called Canopy Growth. Yeah. So I was one of the first uh, medical science liaisons, so a sales rep on, on the ground. Such a trailblazer. All yeah. the first. Yeah, yeah. a lot of firsts. But I, I realised I love being the first because it's exciting times because yes. there's no rules. I love <laughs> Yes, I love no rules. And so, yeah, I was one of the first kind of reps that they had. And um, because I had, two, you know, two or three years of experience already, I kind of helped them get their business off the ground and yeah. I connected them with all the kind of systems that I learned from my prior experience. But because they were a global company and they were Canadian, they had a medical com- medical arm of the business, but also recreational arm of the business. Yeah. So. They had like, um, Drake had like a brand under flower. They had Martha Stewart had like a brand under them as well. So it was, that's true. Yeah. Is, that, is that like widely known that she has that? Yeah, it is. Just not here, I guess. Yeah, wow. just not here, but over there it is. Yeah. Oh, I think wow. she had a cookies range. I feel like people need to be talking about that. People yeah. trust Martha. Yes. Mm. Yeah, they really do. They would be good too. Yeah. I also trust Drake, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Generationally though, Martha would yeah. really have some pull. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. Cool. Yeah. So this company called Canopy was amazing, and not only were, was it amazing because they had that medical and recreational kind of arm of the business, but because they really invested in their people, mm. and they were big, so they hired like the best of different pharmaceutical companies, and they had really great leaders, and so when they invested a lot in me as well, so I went to Canada twice. 
cool. um, to for some really big meetings. I had a lot of training there as well and made a lot of connections. I saw their whole grow facility. Yeah, wow. Because um, they grew their own cannabis. So they, I saw the whole grow facility and I was blown away. And this was 2018, 2019, something like that. And I also had the, op- the opportunity to go to a few dispensaries when I was in Canada. So I remember going for a week conference in Canada, going into a dispensary in Ottawa, and remember going, oh, my God, this looks like an Apple store. It was just oh. schmick. Like it was just beautiful, schmick, such a clean experience. And yeah. all the strains on display, everyone knew what they were doing. It just ran like clockwork. Yeah. And I came back to Australia, went back into my role as a, as a rep on, on the ground teaching pharmacists and doctors and feeling super frustrated because the doctors kept thinking I was a drug dealer. The pharmacists were so busy with medication checks and dispensings and vaccinations and everything else that mm. they, when I went to do education, they were just so busy. Mm. They didn't have time to think about cannabis. So I was like, you know what? I'm still a pharmacist. I'm going to open a pharmacy and just re- reverse the model and make it look really schmick and make it re- look really cool. For anyone that hasn't been to Astrid in Melbourne and now Byron Bay, it sort of looks like an Apple store treehouse, beautiful. It's insane. It's like dark green, like olivey green and yep. like wooden. Yep. Like it's stunning. You've yep. done such an incredible job. Thank you. Thank you. I had this vision of it to be like the Aesop of dispensaries. That's a, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that is so good. For anyone that hasn't, that's a great visual. <laughs> So I really wanted to um, tell a different story. Yeah. So I want people to come in and feel that story told without actually anyone saying anything. So mm. we chose really rich dark green brand colors. We use really natural materials as well. So the the store in South Yarra is Tazzy Oak. Um, we use yeah. curves to really soften the experience. We got rid of the white bright lights in pharmacy and got rid of the the um, enclosed feeling that you know, patients feel when they go to a pharmacy, yeah. made everything really minimalist and open so people can feel like they're accessing a um, a product that didn't have stigma associated with it. Right. I remember going to a price line back in the day when I was still a rep and um, waiting in the corner um, to provide training and patients were waiting in line for the cannabis and they were like very fidgety and they were just, it was mm. such an awkward experience and I was like, oh, I can make this really cool. I can make this really nice. Yeah, I make I can make it an amazing experience, and they can re- we can really drive this story and this message forward in order to create change. Um, and so that's how it all started. Did you have a business partner when you started no. doing that? Like, I feel like you as a sales rep with a banner of a business above you is one thing, but you going completely out on your own to do this. Where did that confidence come from? That's amazing. That's a good question. Um, I grew up with immigrant parents, and right. so my parents um, came to Australia with nothing. And they, they, my my parents are hustlers. So I grew up with my parents having their own business my entire life, and so they've got this import export business, and they sewed a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so um, growing up, I remember being I remember being in the car in the back seat with my brother and my sister. My parents would just be in the front, and they're always talking about business. They're mm. like cutting deals while they're driving, and it was so normal for me. I just thought that's how normal parents are. <laughs> yeah. When I went to my friends' houses, I'm like, oh, we're just eating dinner normally. <laughs> yeah. Where's <laughs> the hustle? What are you talking about? Who closed I, a deal today? What I are we know, doing? <laughs> I know. So I think that part of it was already ingrained in me, and um, I've and I've always, I've always had a side hustle. I've always wanted to do something different, yeah. and I just knew that I really wanted to do this, and I became really obsessed with cannabis. Like people thought I was a bit crazy, mm. but I just 
I had this really clear vision of wanting to do something different. The early days were hard though, because it was COVID and it was a pandemic and trying to open this during a pandemic was one of the hardest things I probably have ever so done. So how young is Astrid? Two years. Okay, wow. Yeah, Amazing. so I came up with the idea in 2020 and so we started doing permits and um, engaging with builders, et cetera, in 2020, but we didn't actually open our doors until 2021 in January right? because ordinarily a normal person would have taken probably six weeks to do a fit out, like mm-hmm. our bar and base store that we recently launched took you know, four weeks to do a fit out. Mm-hmm. It took me almost four and a half months to do a fit out. Was it because of lockdowns or just um, – it was a couple of things. So when I first launched Astrid, I um, I Googled, like, how do I make a business plan? And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so I filled this in and I tried to make a business plan. And um, and what happened was um, I, I filled it in and I went to the banks and asked for a loan. And the banks were like, it was the pandemic, peak pandemic. And yeah. they're like, oh, no, this is – you've never had any real experience besides doing e-commerce brands online. Yeah. <laughs> we can't give you a loan. And and I got rejected by, like, every single bank in Australia at that time because they were probably preoccupied with, with um, so COVID. Yeah. And so that was a no. But then I was like, no, I really want to do this still. And so it was – you know, everyone's freaking out about lockdowns and COVID. And so what I did was I sold my apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sold it and then I realized, oh no, I still don't have enough money to, to get this off the ground. And so then it was April of 2020. I think we went to lockdowns March of 2020. And then Melbourne was short of face masks, you know, the cloth face yes. masks. And going back, remember my parents have, um, a sewing business. Yes. Yeah. So I, Illegally drove to my mom's um, warehouse in Roval. They've got a, a sweatshop in Roval. <laughs> and I um, drew a picture on a piece of paper going, hey, mom, can you, do you reckon you can sew this for me? And she's like, I haven't sewed in 10 years. It's like, import now. I was like, yeah, but you still have the sewing machine. So can you just whip it out and just sew it? Yeah. And she, I was like, can you just make me 10? I'll, I'll, I'll sell it online. And if I can sell it, then we can try and do more. Mm. So then my mom was like, okay. So she she made some face masks. I made a website overnight and – um. They sold out. And then so over a span of like um four four months, we went from zero to like eighty thousand dollars worth of face masks. And that was your capital. That was my capital plus my um plus everything else. Like I got out my super I I did everything that I could to put wow. money into it. Yeah. And so yeah, that's how we got the capital for it. But my learning from that was if you know that you want to do something, you're really, really determined. There's always a way. Yeah. I had so many lessons. I had so many moments where I've just went home and cried. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first six months we opened and we didn't literally did not make a sale for like two months. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a bad idea. What do I do with this? Mm. Um, so I think that you have to back yourself. Mm. Even in the toughest times, you have to back yourself because ultimately it's your business and your vision and your dream and everyone – in this business is riding on you to deliver that dream. So for me, what I realized um, both in the early days and now is that you have to have purpose. You have to know why you're in this business. Um, and so like for me, trying to just, just trying to do, um, I guess, figure out what that pers- purpose was, mm. was a journey. And so I realized no matter what happened, my, my real reason for doing this was because I loved 
cannabis and I loved patients and most important, I loved people so much. Yeah. Like uh, my team, oh, they're such beautiful people. Mm. And there are days where I'm like, oh, this industry is so hard, but I get up the next day for them mm. because they are doing so much for patients. Like I see these patients' lives transform. Um, and I love that. I love seeing their journey. I love hearing how much this medication has transformed their lives. Mm. Um, and then what makes me even more inspired is seeing my team really, really invest in patients as well, mm. like spending extra time with a patient because mm. they want to hear about how it's helped them. Yeah, I think that's really, really amazing um, for me to be able to instill my, my vision and purpose into my team for them to help patients. Yeah. Like, that in itself is magic for me. Yeah, wow. You're obviously seeing all these beautiful um, patients and your team is taking care of these people with such gusto. What is the appetite at the moment in Australia and in the Australian market? How is it going and how is it being received? The Australian market right now, I would say this is just the beginning. I think that we're onto something so amazing in Australia mm. and where the beautiful thing about the Australian market right now is that everyone is collaborating you know, growers mm. are collaborating with distributors, distributors are collaborating with um, dispensaries and dispensaries are collaborating with patients. Right. And that itself for us to be able to solve all these problems together as an industry means that there is so much potential for this to really create change. Cannabis is probably um, the, one of the first plant-based medicines to be legalised, but it's not going to be the last. There will be more. And it has the potential to really transform the lives of Australian patients who are looking for um, alternative medication. So if this industry does really evolve, what are we going to be facing with like the legalities and stuff? For example, how long does, does medicinal cannabis stay in your system and then people driving with it? And if we start to see this in the really day-to-day -day yep. of people's lives, yep. hopefully we will, yep. what does that look like? Yep, it's a really great question. And I think... One of the there's a because it's such a new industry, we're still faced with so many roadblocks, mm. and so a lot of people ask me, "Oh, how long will it take for us to become legalized and recreational like every other country?" And my response is, "We might get there eventually in one day, but in in order for us to get there, we need to solve for our immediate problems, and our immediate problems right now is regulation and also discrimination against our patients for using cannabis for their medical condition. Right. So um, at Astrid, we have a um, patient advocacy arm. So um, if you have ever been to Astrid, you may have met B. She's our head of uh, government, government relations and, and also patient advocacy. And she basically um, advocates for patients' rights. So uh, right now, the regulation is if you are a patient and you are using a um, TXC product, you cannot drive. Right. Even if you're not impaired. And so we feel like that's unfair. Um, TXC medication should be treated like any other prescription medication. So does that mean literally if somebody's using it, they can't drive? If they're using something that has TXC, they cannot drive. Okay. Yeah. So right now um, in the media, you may have seen a lot of news around um, this topic mm -hmm. um, because patients are speaking up. Yeah. And rightly so, because it's affecting their quality of life. Patients need to be able to drive to pick up the grandkids, to drive to get groceries, to drive to go to work yeah. um, if they're not impaired. If they're impaired, fair enough, just like any other prescription medication. But it's not fair that they are 
um, not able to drive. And the reason is the roadside testings um, only test for the presence of TXC. Mm. It doesn't test for impairment. Can that patient then just use something with CBD only in it and get around that? Um, sometimes and most patients now, because of the legality and sometimes they have jobs that will not allow them to have TXC, they will use a high dose of CBD, but it doesn't do the same thing. Right. They work differently in the body. And so this patient might need only a very small dose of TXC, mm-hmm. but they need to drive the next day and they can't. And it's just mm. so heartbreaking. So how long does it stay in the system for? It depends on the person because of metabolism, mm-hmm. but I would say between 12 to 48 hours, depending on the um, what dose and, and what um, product you are using. At the moment, if you are using cannabis and it's CBD, totally fine. Can drive, whether it's orally or topically or via inhaled methods, mm-hmm. totally fine. But if it's THC and it gets into your bloodstream um, somehow, then it's a blanket no right now. Right. So it would get into the bloodstream through gummies, ingest, basically ingestion, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Do people have the responsibility to tell their bosses at work or tell, you know, people around them that they are exploring this new method? I think it's safe to do so. I think that, you know, the more we can openly talk about it, then we can make it more, um, I guess, known to people mm. because it opens up a conversation. And like that's the lesson that I learned from Astrid opening up on as a brick and mortar on Chapel mm. Street as well. Um, getting patients in and just getting them to ask you about cannabis mm. starts a conversation, makes it normal, and it removes the stigma. Do you think that people are – I can sense that it would be really scary going to your boss and saying, hey, I'm going to start using cannabis as a um, medication for anxiety or whatever. Is there – does that have, that come up, that people are afraid of the discrimination that they're going to get? Um, yes. still happens a lot now. Yeah. So how do people get around that? Just confidence and backing think, themselves that yeah, this is – Yeah, I think so. I think it depends on your relationship with your work and your boss yeah. and, and also what you do as well. Um, I would say if you are driving, you know, heavy machinery, then yes, it's, it's only, you know, good practice to let your workplace know. Yeah. But if you're in an office job, then I think it depends on you yeah. and your relationship with your work and whether you want to tell people about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there are instances, for example, where we have patients calling us, um, saying that they've been pulled over because they have ticks in your system and, the um the police said they've got they've got one phone call so they call Astrid oh my god and they call Astrid and they ask for B <laughs> I know oh, wow yeah and so they're like you know like so what does she do is so, she like I can't help you <laughs> no so what we do is that we've got a good system now so a lot of like we spent two years just making processes to processes to support our patients so we really do spend the time listening to them, yeah. um, we have this whiteboard that says problems. And I told my team, if you, if you have a problem, don't ignore it, write it down, we'll deal with it. We'll try to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. And so what we saw was that one of the problems that we faced was patients kept calling in because they were getting discriminated against for driving. Yeah. It was a big problem. And so then we said if that did happen, then they escalated to um, like a, a team leader mm-hmm. and we would then take over the conversation with the police officer police officer and say, hey, look, this patient's on a prescription medication. I can send you through copies of the prescription. I've got the federal approval as well from the TGA. I can send you through copies of um, doctor's letters as well. So any sort of um, um, ad- um, admin that they need mm. to confirm, um, then we send through. Most of the time, we found that it's because they didn't realise that it's legal. Right. 
So there is a lack of education from police as well. Oh. Um, and that we feel like there needs to be a uniform education sort of system yeah. um, in order for them to understand that this patient is on a legal medication. Now, from their perspective, I understand that what they're saying is that because the patient is, even though it's a prescription medication, it's still TXC in the system. Yeah. And so it's hard for them to, de- de- to determine whether it's going to be illicit or legal cannabis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, what um what we're trying to do is create a um a process for them to determine that. But right now it's still not happening. Are they like carrying around their prescriptions, trying to be like, No, don't book me. Um yeah. swear it's legal. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of patients literally carry the whole jar with them or they carry that like a whole oh. letter with them. Yeah, and they put it in the car with them. The um, because they're like just so afraid. Oh. I have patients DMing me going, I'm so afraid to drive. And I, my, every time I do have to drive down the road to pick up my kid, I look over my shoulder every five minutes because they're so afraid. Oh. And that's um, instilling that fear is also creates a very unsafe place. Yeah. And from a, a medicinal perspective, these patients are already suffering from anxiety. Yeah, you don't have to make it this worse. This is <laughs> oh. making it worse. Yeah. yeah, wow. So there's a lot of ad advocacy that needs to happen there yeah okay yeah yeah but we are doing a lot of work and i think yeah yeah i think we're getting close in some states um but my my takeaway from the last two years is the most powerful thing in this is patient voices mm-hmm. the more voices we have to portray what they're going through really helps the government understand how big of an issue this is wow do you think them that we'll be able to move the needle i think so yeah, wow. there's still a lot of work. It's, it's frustrating, but I think I've got hope that you know it will change. Yeah, because there's so many patients who are who are who are actually dealing with this at the, at the moment. Mm. So you've just opened up in Byron Bay. What is next for the business? Obviously, pushing the advocacy piece and moving Australia forward into this legalized, accepted, non-discriminatory environment. But what's next for you and for Astrid? Yep. So um, I'd like to say world domination, but I, I, amazing. I won't say it. Why? I mean, yes. What the next next thing on the cards is to open more dispensaries in different states. That'll be amazing. Yes. And as more global markets open, I'd love to have an Astrid in different countries and that sort of yeah. thing. Um, but I'm quite, oh, I guess, more humble in my, the way that I do things in that I don't want to grow so big that I don't remember my team. Yeah, sure. So I would prefer to slow down the growth if it means that I don't remember what's happening in my team's life or something's happening. And yeah. culture is so important. Mm. And and for us, I think the specialness of Astrid is, yes, for, we're female-led, but we're also really diversity-led as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love our people and where, where they've come from. So I want to grow and, yes, I'd love world domination, but I want to do so in a way where I can still keep the culture mm. um, so that we still have that. I guess, boutique and specialness that people know us for. I have a feeling that you're going to figure that out and how to do it. I hope so. I don't think that you would let that go. I, I get the so. sense from you, even when you walked in the podcast studio, I can tell that you're going to make sure that that is <laughs> definitely a priority. <laughs> this is yeah. so exciting. So I want to finish on anyone that's inspired to go and have a conversation with their doctor. You can Google cannabis-friendly doctors, for example, do you think that people can go to their normal GP and start this conversation? And then what's some advice that you have for people that are going to go to their normal GP? I would definitely always recommend going to your normal GP. Your normal mm-hmm. GP knows you best, so have your medical history. Mm-hmm. And ask your GP, is cannabis something you're comfortable prescribing? And is 
is it something that you think will be good for me? Mm-hmm. And GPs nowadays know about cannabis. So the, the stigma associated that I faced with, you know, back in the day, mm. is no, not so much there anymore. Mm. And so they, they might say, yes, I'm comfortable, but I'm not very confident. Mm-hmm. And so they might refer, I'm going to, the patient on. Or they might say, actually, um, I can do it, um, but I need more training. And so it just depends on, what pathway they take, but mm-hmm. I'd say a good starting point is speaking to your GP. And and if the GP, you know, can't prescribe it for whatever reason, if you Google cannabis clinics, there's so many now online. Wow. Or in person. It's such a fascinating new thing. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining me. This was very special and very informative. No and worries. I learned a lot. No worries. That brings me to the end of my chat with Lisa. I chose to end on a topic of approaching these conversations with your GP because you should have the tools to open up that conversation if you want to. To learn more about Lisa and her beautiful business, Astrid, head to astrid.health. That's the website, astrid.health. I've put it all in the show notes for you to explore. If you loved this episode, please let me know. I would love you to DM me or leave a review on whatever platform that you're listening to. I've been back in podcast land for two months now and I cannot wait to hear what you think. I will see you next Sunday.